Bibles to the Gospel of Mark this afternoon. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The title of this message is Duty Faith. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Primitive Baptists, hyper-Calvinists, and hardshells deny what they call duty faith. That is, the biblical command for sinners to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The articles of faith and order of a primitive and or strict and particular Baptist church state in article 12, the title of which is Spiritual Faith Not a Natural and Legal Duty. Quote, We believe that the precious faith of God's elect with which salvation is conjoined is not a duty incumbent on men as men, but is obligatory only upon chosen, blood-bought, and heaven-born sinners, unquote. Hard shells in their human reasoning think that to command a spiritually dead sinner to do something spiritual, such as believing the gospel, makes no sense. When hard shells use the term duty faith, it is meant as an insult to those who preach it. Hyper-Calvinism sees duty as false doctrine. They see duty faith as false doctrine. Charles Spurgeon battled hard with this hyper-Calvinism during his ministry. Now we're going to see in this message from God's Word today that it is indeed the duty of all men everywhere to believe the gospel in order to be saved. We're going to see that because faith is commanded, it is therefore a duty. It is clear, it is the clear and unmistaken duty of all who hear the gospel to savingly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to do in this message is to define faith and duty. Let's take faith first. True and saving faith has the proper object. Our text in Mark 1.15, the Lord Jesus says, Believe the gospel. It does make a difference what one believes. When the Lord Jesus said, Believe the gospel, He meant, Place your hope and trust in the doctrine and promises of the gospel and primarily in Christ Himself. In John 6, 28 and 29, the Lord Jesus says, Believe on me, 
the proper object of faith. Let's turn to that. John 6, 28 and 29. John 6, 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. Next turn to Matthew 1, 21. Matthew 1, verse 21. Here the angel, in announcing the birth of Christ, said to Joseph concerning Mary, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the object of faith is Christ, his blood, and his righteousness. It is Christ who saves through faith. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we'll look at this uh, two or three times in this message. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is Christ who saves through faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So faith is looking to Christ. And this is illustrated in the story of the brazen serpent in Numbers 21, 9. If you'll turn with me to that. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. Because of their disobedience to God, the children of Israel were bitten by fiery serpents. They died by the thousands. And when they cried to Moses for deliverance from the bites... God told Moses to make a serpent of brass and tell the bitten Israelites to look at that serpent, and when they did, they would be healed. Now let's read it, Numbers 21, 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or when he looked at the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, look at John three fourteen and 15, because here the Lord Jesus interprets the typology of this brazen serpent and the people looking at it. John three fourteen and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So here the Lord makes looking and believing to be one and the same thing. Faith is also described in Matthew eleven twenty eight as coming to Christ. Turn to that great passage, that great verse in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. 
The Lord Jesus says here, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Faith is coming to Christ for rest in the conscience, for forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, for salvation. Faith is also trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ for acceptance with God. Turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Faith is trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ for acceptance with God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted, or that means it was credited unto him for righteousness. Now faith is not just assent to or agreement with the facts of the gospel. You know, you can believe with your head Christ died for sinners and was buried and rose again the third day and still not be saved. Because saving faith is much more than just giving assent to the facts of the gospel. It is trust. It is reliance. It is dependence on Christ for salvation. Faith is trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin and peace with God. Faith is also committing oneself to Christ for everything involved in salvation. Now, there are some great benefits of true and saving faith. One such benefit is justification. Justification is a term used in a court of law, and it means being acquitted. It means being declared not guilty before God. And it also involves being declared righteous before God. Look at Romans 5.1. If you're still there in Romans, look at Romans 5.1. And this verse tells us two of the benefits of faith in Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, that's one, we have peace with God, that's two, through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Thirdly, John 6.47 tells us that true, uh, the, the third benefit of true faith is everlasting life. He that believes receives everlasting life. Next, fourthly, turn to John 1.12. John chapter 1 and verse 12. This tells us that another benefit of faith is the power to become the sons of God. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The alternative to faith is condemnation from God. The wrath of God. Hell fire. Turn to John 3.18. John chapter 3 and verse 18. Here the Lord Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then look on down to verse 36 in John 3 where the Lord Jesus says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Well, we've looked at some of the definition of faith. Let's now try to define the word duty. What is meant by the word duty when we speak of duty faith? Luke 17.10 uses the word duty. So let's turn to that. Luke chapter 17 and verse 10. And I want us to read this here. Luke 17.10 So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now this is a translation of the Greek word ophilo. And it means literally to be indebted. Or it also means literally ought. O-U-G-H-T. John Gill translated Luke 17.10 this way. We have done what we are obliged to do. Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary defines duty as a moral or legal obligation, obligatory tasks or conduct. And the example Webster gives is this. It was his duty to support his family. Or he was put on jury duty. So this is the meaning of the word when we speak of duty faith. According to God's word, faith is obedience to duty. Faith in Christ is the duty, the obligation of all men. This applies to atheists, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists, agnostics, humanists, psychologists, psychiatrists, socialists, communists, Jews, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, and all men. But why must all men believe? Well, several reasons. First and foremost, because God, because Christ and God's Word commands sinners to believe. Now, we'll have more to say about this in the next point in this message. But secondly, why must all men believe? Because faith is pleasing to God. Hebrews 11.6 says that, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Thirdly, all men must believe because Christ commends faith in those who believe. In Matthew 8.10, the Lord Jesus commended the faith of the centurion whose servant was sick. This man asked, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at this, he asked the Lord to heal his servant and to do it long distance because he was not worthy for the Lord to come under his roof. Turn to Matthew 8.10. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10. The Lord Jesus commended 
the faith of this centurion. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He commended that faith. When the Canaanite woman asked the Lord to cast the demon out of her daughter, and the Lord told her, Well, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's not fitting to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. This woman replied, Well, this is true, but the dogs do eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Look at Matthew 15, 28 here. Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So the Lord Jesus commends faith. Alright, let's look next at some scriptures that command faith. Look at our text once again in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark 1, 14 and 15. <clears throat> now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This is the very first message that the Lord Jesus preached that's recorded in the Scripture. It is a command to believe the Gospel. The time is fulfilled, the Lord said here. The time spoken of by the prophets for Christ the Messiah to come into the world. Christ preached this message, repent and believe, to all who heard Him that day. And He commanded them to repent and Believe the gospel. Now turn to John 14 and verse 1. Here we have another command of the Lord Jesus to believe. John 14 and verse 1. <clears throat> Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. The Lord Jesus commands faith as do others in the Scriptures. For example, turn to Acts 16.30. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Here we read of Paul and the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been jailed for preaching the gospel. And God had sent an earthquake, thus opening the prison doors. The jailer knew that he, was, he would be executed if the prisoners escaped, and he was about to kill himself when Paul told, the, told him that the prisoners were all still there. Well, the jailer then brought Paul and Silas out and said to them, Sirs, 
what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So Paul was commanding this jailer to believe in Christ. That is, to look to Him, to trust in Him, to commit everything into His hands, and expect everything from Him. Now turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23. 1 John 3 and verse 23. This scripture, in this scripture, God commands faith in Christ. He commands that men believe in Christ. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now the name of Jesus Christ stands for all that Christ is. All of His wonderful attributes and character traits. The command to believe on the name of the Son of God means believe that He is Messiah. Believe that He is the Savior. Believe that He is God come in the flesh. Believe that He suffered and died and rose again and that He ascended into heaven where He's seated on the right hand of God making intercession for His people and that He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Well, let's look next at some, some other scriptures that require faith. We've looked at scriptures that command faith Let's look at some that require faith. Sometimes in Scripture, faith is described as obedience. One example is found in Romans 1, 4, and 5. So let's turn and read that. Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking of Christ when he says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Faith is referred to as obedience. Now look at Romans 16, 25 and 26. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. <clears throat> Paul speaks of God here. When he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Therefore, it is the duty of sinners to believe the gospel. Now turn to John 6, 28 and 29 once again. John 6, 28 and 29. Here the Lord Jesus is asked what to do in order to work the works of God. 
And he responds that the work of God is to believe on the Son. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. So God requires belief in Christ. Not religion, not respectability, not good works, but faith. Turn now to Acts 20, verses 20 and 21. Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Paul is reviewing his ministry at Ephesus here. And he tells what he preached. And he says, it was believe. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The very purpose for which John wrote his gospel is that sinners might believe in Christ. Look at John 20, 30. John chapter 20 and verse 30. John 20, 30, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Turn next to Acts 17 and verse 30. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Paul says here that God calls, he, he commands all men everywhere to repent. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In our text in Mark 1.15, the Lord commands sinners to repent, meaning to in godly sorrow for their sins, forsake those sins, and by faith in Christ receive forgiveness of those sins. Look at verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In Luke 13, 3. The Lord Jesus says, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, in Acts 2.38, Paul tells unbelievers, the unbelievers who were present that day, to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And Peter also says, in Acts 3.19, Repent ye, therefore, and be converted that your sin may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I read all those verses on repentance, commands to repent. A careful reading of the New Testament reveals 
that repentance and faith always go together. They are inseparable. And so uh, the Holy Spirit didn't seem to think it was necessary to say repent and believe both times. Sometimes he said believe, sometimes he said repent, uh, knowing that we should understand that they go together and are inseparable. Charles Spurgeon used to call repentance and faith the Siamese twins of the gospel to indicate how they go together. So, if God commands all men everywhere to repent, and repentance and faith always go together, then repentance and faith are both the duty of all men, and therefore unbelief is sin. As a matter of fact, unbelief is a great sin. Hell is for unbelievers. God's Word teaches that if you don't believe, you will go to hell for all eternity. One reason to believe is because a burning hell is the future of unbelievers. Look at John 3.36 once again. John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth not shall be damned. And that means he shall go to hell. Revelation 21, 8 tells us that hell is for unbelievers. Let's turn to that. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Hell is for unbelievers. <clears throat> but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, because of all these things that we have seen, it should be obvious that faith is the God-given duty of all men. This is what God's Word says. In Acts 16.30 that we read earlier, the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? To which Paul replied, You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's implied in the way he responded. The Lord Jesus says in our text, Repent ye and believe the gospel. Every man on this planet is responsible to obey this command. Most of today's preaching in our kind of churches I've observed in all the churches I've traveled around to, most of it is just lectures on the doctrines of grace. The only thing some preachers ever preach is the tulip, the five points of Calvinism. But according to God's Word, all men are to be called to faith in Jesus Christ. It is the duty of all men to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A sinner 
is not to wait for a sign or a feeling. You know, I've had people tell me, I ask them, are you saved? Well, not yet, but I'm, I think the Lord will make it known to me. I think He'll give me a vision or He'll do some work in my life that will let me know to believe. According to the Scriptures, a sinner is not to wait for a sign or a feeling. He is to believe. It is his duty to believe. We believe what God's Word teaches about the inability of man to believe or to do anything else spiritual. But we must not conclude that that inability cancels the responsibility of sinners to believe the Gospel. God's Word clearly teaches that by nature all men are dead in trespasses and sins and unable to believe or to do anything spiritual. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> Paul says to Christians here, And you hath he quickened, that is made spiritually alive, who were, before God quickened you, dead in trespasses and sins. Our Arminian friends often say this. I've had them say it to me. Okay, why call people to believe if they can't believe? The fact is that man's inability does not cancel his responsibility. The sinner is responsible for his inability. If he's unable, he's responsible for his inability because he was in Adam when Adam fell. Adam and all who were in him when he fell lost all ability to believe. But he and we did not lose our responsibility to God when we fell. Both hard shells and Arminians say that responsibility is destroyed by inability. But unbelief is criminal and blameworthy in spite of man's inability to believe. We must never forget that faith is a grace given by God. The duty faith is not a denial of sovereign grace. We must remember that the duty to believe is ours, but the power or ability is God's. Faith is a necessity. It's a duty. But God gives the ability to believe. Praise His name. God grants believing grace. Even the elect cannot believe until God gives them believing grace. Now let me give you one of the greatest books, one of the greatest verses or passages in the Bible that tells us this. Turn, it, turn if you're still open there, to Ephesians 2, this time verses 8 and 9, which tell us this very plainly. We cannot believe, even if we're elect, we cannot believe until God gives us believing grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, meaning that faith, not of yourselves. It, that faith, 
is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Very clear. The Lord Jesus says in John 6, 65, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given him of my Father. If it is impossible for a dead sinner to believe, and yet you want this faith to believe, what shall you do? What if you, what if you uh, understand that you're dead in trespasses and sin, and yet you want to believe and you want to be saved? What shall you do? Ask God to give it to you. Ask God to give you faith to believe. Even the desire for faith is a gift of God. Both Faith is both a grace and a duty. So, what must you do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's essential that you do so. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. Trust in His doing and dying for your salvation. True and saving faith is duty faith. And it's the responsibility of God's preachers that they call sinners to believe. I have tried in my 64 years in the Lord's work in every message to call sinners to believe. Do you believe the gospel? Won't you do so today? Let us pray. Now, Father, we're thankful that you have given us clearly in your word the duty that every sinner has to trust in Jesus Christ. We're grateful for your grace that enables dead sinners to believe, to repent of their sins, and trust in Christ for salvation. Father, we pray that you would apply this message to the hearts of everyone present and to meet whatever needs that each one present may have today. We, pray, we thank you for our Savior who died for sinners on the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Let's stand together to sing.